Hello and welcome to the Renaissance Polymath. I'm your host, Toby Gagnon, and this episode is going to be a little different from my normal ones. The following is a recording of a seminar that I taught not long ago. If you'd prefer to watch this seminar, you can click the link in the show notes and it will take you to the YouTube channel where you can do just that. So sit back, relax, and thank you for listening. Welcome to tonight. Thanks for showing up. Um, I'm happy to present. I don't necessarily think that I'm an expert for for really anything, quite frankly, but I've been doing it a while. I've spent a lot of money on things that maybe I shouldn't have spent a lot of money on, and uh, yeah, I'm happy to share my experiences with you, and maybe you guys can learn something. If you've got stuff that you want to uh, share as well, feel free, uh, but we'll go ahead and dive right in. So tonight, about an hour tonight. It won't be too terribly long. We'll go through some introductions. I'll kind of tell you who I am, my background a little bit, and then we'll go through certain things, definitions, critical thinking. We'll talk about the first steps, and then we'll talk about useful skills and the next steps. The whole point of these five seminars is to build up to a point where we're understanding at a base level, a foundational level, realistically what is preparedness, what are we preparing for, what matters to you in particular, and then build on it from there. Now, there are some things that are just going to be universal, no matter what you're preparing for, in my opinion. And we'll touch on those. Um, that's kind of going to be the second portion of tonight's presentation. And then as we continue on, I talk about, uh, I think the next one is building a kit. We'll talk about home and vehicle preparedness and readiness. We'll talk about communications. And then we'll talk about digital privacy and security, which is something that, since the last time I hosted seminars in 2020, is a journey that I've gone through, and I'm glad to share kind of what I've learned so far and, and how I continue to educate myself. So we'll dive right into tonight. The uh, very first thing I have to say is questions are absolutely encouraged. I wouldn't be where I am or have the knowledge that I do without asking questions of people who know more. I'm not saying I know more than you, so quite frankly, what makes me certified or the person that should be standing up here in front of you talking about it? Absolutely nothing other than I'm the one that raised my hand and said, I'll do it. I want to share. I want to give back. And as we get into this, you'll understand that preparedness is not a lone wolf thing. Preparedness is a community thing. What your community is is entirely up to you. But it cannot be in today's society, especially where we live, a lone wolf approach. But if you have questions, ask it. I might ask you to write it down, right? Because you might be stealing my thunder a little bit. But if you have a question, ask the question. So first things first, definitions, preparedness. What the hell does that mean? What is preparedness? Is preparedness the doomsday preppers thing that was on the TV show? I really hope we're well past that stigma at this point. Preparedness is defined two different ways, one by Merriam-Webster, one by dictionary.com. Uh, but basically, it is the state of being prepared or readiness, right? And then there are some synonyms over there. But the ones that really catch my eye are kind of the last three, attentiveness, vigilance, and watchfulness. So to me, preparedness is being ready for an event or specific events for yourself and others. That's preparedness to me, right? So everybody's got vehicle insurance. Everybody's got homeowner's insurance. Probably because you have to, right? Because the, the loan people that gave you the money said you have to carry this because we're not holding the, holding the bill at the end. But you have it to protect yourself. You're preparing for an event of a complete loss of your home or vehicle, and then you don't want to be stuck with the bill. Everybody, to some degree, 
has preparedness in their life, some more than others. Some don't even know it. Who carries a flashlight? Show of hands, come on. Two, three. My hope is that by the end, everybody here carries a flashlight. We'll get to that when we talk about building a kit, but I'll give you a sneak preview. I believe that the flashlight is the most important tool you can carry on you every single day. And I'll explain why in that one, so there's a little teaser for you. So first thing, okay, we've defined preparedness. It's being ready. Well, being ready for what? I believe that most scenarios, most events could be broken down into about six categories. There's probably a couple more, but these are the six that I have, right? You've got violent, nonviolent, medical, uh, you've got some other ones up there, environmental, of course, and social. Social could be, um, <laughs> social could be intentional or unintentional, right? Also, some of these are things that we, as people, can control. Some of them we have absolutely no control over. Depending on your personal beliefs, we may or may not contribute to the environment. Personally, I think Mother Nature will do what Mother Nature will do. It's not something we can control really at all. That doesn't mean we're not doing bad things and making things worse, but you get the idea. The scenario is listed first for a very specific reason. You cannot start to prepare until you know what you're preparing for, right? So when we talked in 2020, we, we listed a whole bunch of scenarios out. I mean, we must have had 30 of these things listed on a board. And we kind of broke them down into these categories. There was kind of a common theme, though, and that's the last one on here, medical. An event or a scenario may not start off as a medical event, right? If you look at the last two, vehicular or medical, you could have a flat tire on the side of the road. I would say that's a vehicular, nonviolent event, right? That didn't crash, nothing happened, just got a flat tire. But then a car comes by and strikes you while you're changing your tire, turning it now into a medical event, right? So events and scenarios may cover more than one category. An environmental event might turn into a violent event if people are looting or something like that, right? It may also turn into a nonviolent event. People might say, hey, this storm rolled through. Where's our water? Why is it taking five days to get here? Stuff like that. The scenarios that you come up with on your own are going to be unique to you. I'll give an example. If you live in a floodplain, you should probably prepare for the event that water will rise. If you live on top of a mountain, probably not something you're going to need to worry about, right? I'd be more worried about lightning strikes on the top of a mountain than a flood. Don't let somebody bully you into preparing for an event they're preparing for, right? Ultimately, it's going to come down to you. What do you think you need to prepare for? Vehicular, uh, we all drove here tonight. Everybody drives a car, everybody rides in a vehicle. I think it would be wise for everybody to somewhere on their list put car crash, right? At some point, you're probably going to have to prepare for the event that your car will run off the road or you will run out of gas or you will have a flat tire or you will be in an accident. So preparedness is not just the sexy stuff, the zombies and all the flesh-eating stuff and, and whatever. Is Walking Dead even still on at this point? I don't even know. But you get the idea, right? Everybody wants to prepare for the stuff that 
is cool, that catches eyes, that I'm just going to stack my guns and ammunition and I'll be good with the zombies. I've got a machete and a baseball bat wrapped in barbed wire. Cool. Well, that may not be the most likely scenario for you. Everybody's going to have scenarios that are specific to them, their communities, and quite frankly, their, their location, right? So again, if you're in a floodplain, probably prepare for a flood. Next, of course, it's not going to work, is it? Why would it? Assets. So you've identified what your scenario is or scenarios are. Now it's time to take stock of what you have already that you could use as an asset. I've listed some here, right? Loved ones, i.e. a network of some kind. It could be family, friends, neighbors, like-minded individuals within a prepper group or something like that. Great. Network is awesome to have. Uh, physical fitness and physical health, those are two different things. You could be physically healthy. You go to the doctor, green light, but you can't walk a mile. Those are two independent things, and I'd encourage you to think of those as such. Your mental health status. Do you have the mental fortitude to take action in an event? People don't like to think about that. People like to think, I'm going to rise to the occasion. Maybe. We all will want to think we will. But the reality is you see that in scenarios. You watch something on the news, and somebody's filming something with their phone, and then there's bystanders that are just in complete shock, frozen. We don't want to be those people, but we may end up being those people. Uh, medical needs, right? Hey, I've, I'm insulin dependent, but guess what? I have a 90-day supply of insulin. Fantastic. That's an asset for you. Realistically, if, if something happens and you get cut off from the outside, a road washes out, in theory, you'd be OK for a few months, right? Uh, skills and education, huge assets, absolutely huge assets. Knowing how to fix something, knowing how to do something, knowing what to do given a certain event, that's big. And having the skills to do it right is even better, especially when it comes to medical. Because, and I'll, I'll say this again later on, in medical, sometimes bad treatment can be worse than no treatment at all. So, chronologically, what comes next after assets? Liabilities. Liabilities. Notice that list didn't change. Just the headline changed. Why? Why? Well, very simple. If your loved ones are saying, hey, if something pops off, I'm coming to your house, well, guess what? Your 30 meals just turned into 15, or 10, or 5. You're going to burn through your resources much faster if they are not also prepared to the same degree. That includes pets, because I don't know about you, my pets are like family. They are family. I'm not going to off a pet just to have a meal or to save a meal. Physical fitness, again, it can be a huge asset. It can also be a massive liability. Physical health, mental health, right? We talked about that. Medical needs, again, that 90-day supply of insulin is fantastic until you lose power. Then what? Right? And then skills and education. Uh, maybe you grew up in the city your whole life, and you have wonderful street smarts, and you're incredibly resourceful in finding things, but you have no idea what to do with them when you find them. Right? So all of the assets from before can also be liabilities. Or conversely, you have the skills, you have the education, but you also have a massive ego, and you hurt yourself doing something. Right? We're all guilty of it.
So we've identified scenario, talked about assets, talked about liabilities. So what's next? Well, kind of what we just talked about. At some point, you are going to have to sit down with whoever you care about, whoever you want to help prepare for, and brainstorm scenarios. Realistically, what is something that we need to make sure we are prepared for as a family, as individuals? Maybe the family's far apart. Do you have a plan to get back together, right? What scenario would prevent you from communicating with each other or something? Brainstorm the scenarios. From there, you need to research and educate yourself on those scenarios, right? If, if your thing is tornadoes, research how tornadoes work. Research possible warning signs of something coming in. What do you do in the event of a tornado? Learn all you can about it, right? Going back to the flood, if you live in a floodplain, research and educate yourself. How many here right now know whether or not their house is located in a floodplain? Show of hands, whether you know. It doesn't have to be, but whether you know or not for a fact. Good show of hands. Awesome. For those of you who are, when was the last time it flooded? How high did it go? What's the record? What's the likelihood? What's the average? What can you do to possibly mitigate some of that stuff? And research and educate is well before number six, right? So then you've got to develop a network. Whatever that network is, the network can just be, hey, it's me, my wife, and my child. That's fine. A network can be larger. It could be, hey, it's, it's my family group and our immediate neighbors. Or I'm part of a prepper network, and we look out for each other. That's wonderful. But understand, we're all human beings, and we're all going to look out for the people we love. If I'm part of a prepper group, I might care about those people, but I care about my family a whole lot more. So I'm going to make sure that they are taken care of. It's no different than a law enforcement officer. People think, hey, if, if something happens, the cops are going to be there. You know, in, in, let's say, an environmental event, hurricane or something rolls through. But what you fail to remember sometimes is those officers live in the same communities. And their families are affected the same way. Yes, they have an obligation to go to work, but so do you. right? Even if you work at a, a desk job, let's say you do data entry, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a great paycheck. But if it came down to, I have to go to work to do data entry, or I have to make sure my family is safe from the storm, which would you choose? Therefore, which do you think those public safety and first responders would choose? Just remember that. I'm not saying they're all going to stay home and forget you guys. But understand that your preparedness and your safety is something you need to take into account. Establish a plan. Establish a plan that includes the best case scenario plan all the way to the worst case scenario plan. And then make sure everybody knows that plan. The last thing you want to do is have something happen and then go, oh, shoot, what do we do? It shouldn't be, oh, shoot, what do we do? It should be immediate action. Hey, everybody knows we're. We're doing this. We knew this was going to happen. We knew the basement was going to flood. We know where the buckets are. Let's get the pump out. Let's make sure it's plugged in, that kind of stuff. And then learn the skills. Learn the skills that you need to have for those scenarios or events. Right? Hey, if you think, I'm very likely to get a flat tire, learn how to change a tire. Learn how to plug a tire, stuff like that. Then, once you've done all of that, you can start buying stuff. Going back to learning the skills, take a class. Right, Coming here tonight is a great first step. Take a class. Learn to, as to what an instructor has already done. Learn from them. They're going to teach you. They're teaching for a reason. 
because they're passionate about something or because they have a fair amount of knowledge in that area. Also, it's a great opportunity to ask that person, hey, what should I buy? Do you want to know why? Because they've probably spent a whole bunch of money buying things and testing things only to find out what works and doesn't work. Right? Procure supplies that will help during the scenarios. Don't go cheap on things that matter. You do not want the cheapest fire extinguisher. You do not want the cheapest tourniquet. You want the best fire extinguisher that your money can afford. You want the best tourniquet that you can afford. Don't cheap out on things where it really matters. Make sense? All right, that was the foundational part. Understanding what, who, why, learning, educating. Now we're going to talk about skills. First aid and medical. This is number one for a reason. This is a skill I believe everybody should have a very basic understanding of. Why? Well, because as we talked about before, most events or scenarios will probably have a medical component to it. Even if it's just, I twisted my ankle coming in. Who's seen the uh, movie uh, Day After Tomorrow? There's a scene in that where the girl goes back to help a family in a car and she cuts her leg and that wound becomes infected and then she's dealing with sepsis, right? So this scenario, this event was this huge end of days storm or storms, there were three, but it turned into medical because she cut herself and they had to treat her. Thankfully, they were all genius whiz kids and they knew how to do that and the ship just happened to have antibiotics. Anyway, you're far more likely to need to treat a wound or an ailment or something during any given event. Car crash, hurricane, whatever it is, you're far more likely to need to do that than something else very specific, right? Additionally, everybody likes to prepare for, again, going back to the zombies part, everybody wants to prepare for the traumatic events the car crash where I had to put a tourniquet on an arm and a leg and then throw a chest seal on somebody, and that's absolutely knowledge you should have. But understand that you're more likely to need a Band-Aid and ibuprofen or Imodium, right? Than you are morphine, tourniquets, packing gauze, that kind of stuff. Doesn't mean you shouldn't prepare for traumatic events or learn how to treat those folks. Absolutely. But don't forget about the most likely stuff that you're gonna run into. Bumps, cuts, scrapes, Twisted ankles, broken bones, do you carry SAM splints? Do you know how to make a field expedient splint out of sticks or something in the woods? Do you carry an ACE bandage in your medical supplies? Do you have a basic first aid kit in your vehicle? Things like that. That's what I believe is most likely, regardless of the event, and that's why I put medical at number one. Now, on each of these, I will put a resource. This one happens to be Prep Medic on YouTube. He's a SWAT medic. He has done traumatic event stuff, and he's obviously done a lot of the boo-boo stuff. So number one, I believe, is first aid and medical. And like we talked about, bad treatment can absolutely be fatal. If you come across upon a car accident and somebody's unconscious, should you move them? No, because they might have a spinal cord injury and you could agitate that. Now, if car's on fire, I would argue pull them away from that. If they're going to die because they're staying in the car, yes, of course, get them out. But understand that under general circumstances, it's probably not advised. Next one, gardening, hunting, i.e. harvesting your own food of some kind. Why? 
Why would I put that as a skill? Well, very simple. Who lived through the last two years? Yeah, me. Who saw the supply chain absolutely go to crap? Yeah. Who saw the recalls on the spinach and the lettuce for E. coli and the was it, uh, ice cream had listeria in it there for a little while too, right? So, right. It happens, right? So if you can grow and harvest your own food, that helps to lessen the likelihood that you will be affected by those things. Supply chain, foodborne illnesses, things like that. Also, mental health benefits. Who's got a garden in here? Couple. It's been said that the garden is people's happy place. Come home from a long day work, things didn't go right, you're like, you know what, I'm just going to go get my hands dirty. I'm going to go dig something up, I'm going to harvest something, I'm going to prep for next year, I'm going to turn the soil, I'm going to fix the compost, whatever that is. You go out, you get your hands dirty, all that kind of melts away. There's absolute mental health benefits, physical health benefits. Who's gone hunting before? Show hands. Who hiked about six miles before they figured out they were in the wrong spot or didn't have the right? Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of physical benefits to that. You get out there, you start hiking through the woods. Oh, I forgot something. Or, oh, this is the wrong spot. Or, man, I should have set my stand up over there. Whatever it is, right? You're hunting. You're probably doing a lot of hiking. Physical stuff, of course. Good stuff. Um, short and long-term benefits. Short-term benefit, you have food, right? Long-term benefit you can grow food if something catastrophic happens. Uh, the resource for this one, homesteading family on YouTube. They're all going to be YouTube ones, but of course there's a lot of stuff out there. So uh, I'm just going to give you one, homesteading family. Next, food preservation. Well, you've got all this food you just harvested. That's fantastic. What about preserving it? Well, preserving it comes in many different forms. Dehydration, freeze drying, vacuum sealing, whatever it is, freezing, uh, jarring, canning, whatever you call it. Those are great resources and skills to have because typically they're renewable, especially the canning aspect of or jarring, depending on what you call it. The jars, provided they're not cracked or chipped or broken, you can reuse those. It's usually just the lids that you have to replace. And even that, you can get by if you needed to on probably a use or two, maybe three out of those. The good thing about food preservation is kind of that fourth point up there, the ability to buy in bulk. Let's say you're not, gonna, you're not at a position where you can grow your own garden or go hunting, right? Maybe you have no public hunting lands, you don't own land yourself. Buying in bulk and being able to preserve that stuff can absolutely come in handy. Right? If you go to Costco, BJ's, or what is it, Restaurant Depot, something like that, you go in, you get what you need, and you go home and you can portion it out to whatever you need or want. That way you know when you take this thing out of the freezer or something like that, it's exactly the amount you need with no extra waste. If there are other ethical or ecological concerns that you have, the gardening and hunting is fantastic because you know it's ethically sourced. Right? You shoot your own food, you, you grow your own vegetables, whatever it is. That's an ethical part here. Less waste, less styrofoam, less plastics. There are ethical components to all of these as well. Uh, health benefits. The, the good thing typically with freeze drying, canning, dehydrating is the need for less chemicals than in, say, a canned good. It's not to say a canned good's going to kill you. It's not. But 
typically what you're doing there is it's all natural stuff. And I know that non-GMO and all that stuff is very hot button word today, right? But all natural, there's something to be said for organic and all natural. And if you do it yourself and you preserve it yourself, you know exactly what went into it. Your resource here is called the Provident Prepper on YouTube. Next, so we've got gardening, hunting, food preservation. What about organization? We need a place to put all this stuff. I'll give you the resource right up front, the Urban Prepper on YouTube. Who follows the Urban Prepper? Anybody? Follow the Urban Prepper. He is a wonderful resource for so many things, and he lives in uh, the Pacific Northwest and had to endure the, let's call it social unrest that happened up there over the last couple years. And he learned a lot from it, and he shares his experiences and knowledge that he has with you on his channel. Great, great resource overall, but organization, he's got this chart here, and I swear he's an engineer. That is just way too, listen, I like my Excel spreadsheets and my charts, but that is on a whole nother level. Very smart individual, um, but organization is something he takes to heart. He's, he, it's called the color of prepping, is something that he does, and it is, Awesome. If you need to figure out a place to start, go there. Now, who here thinks they're organized? Show of hands. Hey, I'm an organized person. I got like three, four. Come on, come on, anybody. All right. Who here thinks they're an unorganized person? My shit's all over the place. Okay, there were fewer hands than there are people in this room. That means y'all didn't vote. Somebody didn't vote. Is there a place in the middle? There, <laughs> the gray area, the moral gray area. No, all right, so here's a quick test. This is, this is where you all get to join along. Everybody take out your phone. Seriously, take out your phone. This is gonna be a fun one. Unlock it, open it up. Get to your home screen. There you go. All right, open your photos app. You take a picture with your camera, your phone's camera, it goes somewhere, open that. All right, where all the pictures go is called something. It's usually called the camera roll or, or camera or something like that, right? All right, everybody put your hands up. Everybody put a hand up. Every single person in this room, hand up. All right, if that number in your camera roll is less than 30, put your hand down. If that number in your camera roll is less than 50, Put your hand down. Still a lot of hands. 100? All right. 200? 500? 1,000? You get the point. <laughs> All of that to say, who has tried to send somebody a picture and had to figure out where the picture was in their camera roll based on the other stuff that's in the camera roll? Yep. Right. And then you got to think, ah, oh, you know, we went to Disney in February. Uh, and I took that picture right before we went to Disney. Okay, guess what? That was six months ago. Move it. Organize it into folders, right? Then it's, hey, I'm just going to go to the Disney folder. I know all my Disney photos are in there. You can organize it by month. Hey, this is my January month. January of 21. I can go back there. I know I took that picture there. Organization comes in many forms, but that was an easy one. That is one that, that gets a lot of people. They think, ah, yeah, I'm an organized person. What's your camera roll look like? Oh, a thousand photos in there, huh? Okay. Maybe not as organized as you thought. You can, you can take that and share that with your friends. That's a good one. What did you learn tonight? Well, I learned that my cell phone's kind of a mess. Here's, okay, here's another good one. 
if you look at your recent call list, when was the last time you deleted that recent call list? Do you do it all the time? Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I do it all the time, too, because it's all spam, spam, spam. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know your phone does all that organizing, too, right? You can just yeah. type in dog, get dogs. You can type in the day, the day you get the day. You can type in the month and the year. So come back in October when we talk about digital privacy and security. Uh, iPhone? Yeah. Yeah. Very secure. Horribly private. Those two are not the same. Um, money savings, right? If you do all this canning and storage or preparedness of any kind, wouldn't it be nice to know exactly what you have so when you go to the store you don't think, do we have salad dressing at home? Oh, I forget if we have salad dressing at home. And then you end up buying it and you had two salad dressings at home. Now you have three. Organization is a big, big thing. Vehicle maintenance. A properly maintained vehicle is far less likely to cause an accident. Ultimately, that means you will be safer on the road, and so will everybody else driving around you, right? Of course, of all of the skills that I list, this one is the most likely to have an immediate and tangible return on investment. Because every time you go for an oil change right now, if you go to a service center or something like that, it costs you money. It might cost you 100 bucks. You can do it yourself for 30 or 40. Air filter, cheaper to do it yourself. Plugging a tire. Uh, my wife's vehicle, her last vehicle, she got a f uh, one of those surveyor's nails, big old things in there, and I plugged it. And it lasted 60,000 miles on a plug. Saved her about 250 bucks just by plugging it. Vehicle maintenance is something that if you own a vehicle, regardless of what it is, it could be a motorcycle, it could be a moped, it could be a skateboard, knowing how to maintain it is something that I encourage you all to have, a basic knowledge of. I'm not saying you need to tear down the engine block and rebuild it, but knowing how to do little things will help because over time, you'll then be able to say, hey, you know what? I hear a funny noise. I think I know where it's coming from, and based on where it's coming from and the noise that it's making, I think I might know what it is. Then, when you walk into the mechanic or the auto parts store, you don't have to be the person making chicken noises out front trying to explain what their car was doing. You want a, you want a good job as a stand-up comic? Go work in an auto parts store. You get a lot of good material, I'm sure. Your resource here is a YouTube channel called Chris Fix, all one word. He uses simple hand tools, and he fixes about everything. His most recent one, I think, was how to get dents out of your car, which... Great resource, right? Great knowledge to have. Somebody opens their, their door to the parking lot and dings yours, now you got to know how to get a dent out. All right, next one. Land navigation. Now, why in the digital era would I say land navigation? Well, it's very simple. Go ahead. EMP black. EMP, great. EMP was on the list from 2020. Absolutely. What is an EMP? Here's a... Here's a Pop quiz. You can't answer now. Sorry. Electromagnetic pulse. Electromagnetic From what? What would cause that? Sun? Nuclear? Absolutely. What about a blown up transformer? That'll put out some EMP. Everything is hardened. Well, I say everything is hardened. Very few things are actually hardened, but things are protected to varying degrees. So a blown-up transformer next door, probably not going to really cause any damage until you go look for that cheaply made product 
electronic product and it doesn't turn on anymore. Could be because of that. Land navigation is extremely important in my opinion because let's say you could have the best mapping software in the world and your phone has perfect service and your car has a wonderful GPS signal but the road you just drove up to is washed out. Guess what your phone is trying to tell you to do? Guess what your car is trying to tell you to do? Go into danger. First of all, open your eyes. Don't drive into the ocean because your GPS told you to. How do you get around that? Your cell phone, your mapping software probably won't help you in that situation. But having a basic understanding of, I need to go north. Where is north? Oh, it's there. OK, well, I'll just find a road that heads that direction. Or being able to read a topographical map and saying, hey, this, this river that just took out this bridge or whatever road, this creek, uh, probably took out other stuff downstream, might have taken out other stuff upstream. I need to stay on the high ground. I need to know how to read a topographical map. Land navigation is important. I know everybody relies on the phone. And I know every, I'm absolutely do it too. But next time you go on a trip, try planning it with just paper maps. Who owns a paper map? A current paper map. <laughs> yeah, a little, a little going on back there, yep. They change, roads change. 485 got closed. Whose paper map shows that, right? So try to keep current with that. You can print them offline if you really want to do that. Laminate the 8 by 10 piece of paper. That's rudimentary, waterproof enough, right? But Rand McNally, they make some good stuff. Go out, find a map, get a compass, understand what to do. Your resource here is a YouTube channel called Stokermatic, all one word. Cool resource, um, very interesting how he approaches it, but it's something that I think everyone should have a basic understanding of. I'm not saying you're going to go off and, and do mining in the West and you're going to come back a rich person because of your land navigation ability, but it would be nice to get home when you need to get home or to help somebody else in need if they don't know where they are, that kind of stuff. All right, here's an abstract one, lock picking. At some point, you're going to come to a locked door or a locked gate. And in an emergency situation, wouldn't it be nice to know how to open that? Who knows how to lock pick? Two, three, four. Cool. When's the last time you did it? Practicing at home. What's that? Two days ago. You new to it? No. No? OK. Is that what you do for a living? Oh, OK. There you go. What kind of locks? Yeah, so here's a fun thing. I learned the skill of lock picking. It was one of my many things that I learned once everything shut down in 2020. And I said, you know, I got this master lock, goof around with that. And my buddy was like, yeah, master locks, you can knock it open with a shoe. Go do your front door. Okay, I'll go try my front door. I've been doing it for like a week and I opened my own front door. And it was at that point that I realized I should probably replace my deadbolt and the knob because it was the same key. Um, up here, of course, you know, gain access to a car or house to assist someone. Case in point, that summer, 2020, neighbor locked herself out, her and her granddaughter. It's like 96 degrees outside. She locked herself out of the house. She said, last time I called the lockpick guy, whatever, she said it cost him 75 bucks, took him three minutes. I said, I've got this thing. I can help you. And I was able to get her back into her house. 
which showed her that, hey, I can be a resource, but also that she should probably maybe replace those deadlocks and also maybe keep a key outside or something like that, right? Lock picking is a skill that goes beyond just the creeping through alleys and back of the, the restaurant in the middle of the night, right? Being able to bypass security measures, whether it be locks or something else like that, is something that is a skill that could be very useful, right? Especially if covert is the name of the game. Now, I'll give you another resource. The one up here is Lockpicking Lawyer on YouTube. Fantastic resource to learn how to do things. He actually also makes and sells his own kits, too. Lockpicking Lawyer on YouTube, but I'll give you another one. Deviant Olam, O-L-L-A-M, Deviant Olam, just you can web search his name, you can search it on YouTube, you just do a regular web search. He tells some pretty wild stories. He is, he owns his own uh, business, I believe it's his own business, and he basically gets paid by Fortune 500 companies, come test our security measures. And he's got some interesting stories that are both entertaining and informational, because if you think, okay, I'll pose this question. How would you be able to access basically anywhere? Anybody have any ideas? What would you have to do to basically be able to access anything or any building without anybody questioning you? Law enforcement. Law enforcement? OK. Look like you know what you're doing. Maintenance. How about a hard hat, a high-vis vest, and a clipboard? You see those people all the time, right? Don't ask questions, because they look official. They look like they know what they're doing. They look, maybe not law enforcement, but they might look. Right, exactly. He tells a good story about how he posed as an elevator repairman and shut an entire elevator down for about an hour while his buddy, because he forgot something, had to go back out to the vehicle to get the thing to come back in. He just shut the elevator down. Yeah. Deviant Olam, O-L-L-A-M. You just search him on YouTube. He do, he's done a lot of interviews, podcasts, things like that. Great resource, incredibly entertaining, really cool personality. But the cool thing that he says, right? So he says, look, why would I pick a lock if I could just open it? And there are a handful of keys out there that will open basically every lock. There's master keys that you can buy on Amazon today right now. I've got to set in my backpack for exactly that reason. If I come across something and the door's locked or it's a filing cabinet or something and I just need access to it for some reason, I can do it because I've got a master key. And there's a handful of master keys that open a lot of things. He also shows you how, how to bypass those uh, door things where you got to punch in a number or push a button and talk to somebody. He shows you how to bypass those quickly. It's incredible. Fantastic resource. Fantastic resource. All right, next one that I am very passionate about. Amateur radio. I've been an amateur radio operator now for a few years, and I am constantly learning of new and different and cool ways to communicate using my radio. When I first got into it, I thought my, my mental image of ham radio, amateur radio, was an old guy in a basement over a dimly lit desk with headphones on, smoking a cigarette, copying Morse code. That was literally my mental image of it. But now that I'm in it, 
And now that I've experienced it and I've done it, I know that it is so much more than that. It's not World War II-esque anymore. You use your computer. You can interface your computer with your radio now. It's really neat. Question? Uh, why? Why amateur radio? Communication without power. And I don't mean power at your home. I mean power at the cell tower. Because when you make a cell phone call, I'll let you in on a secret, it's a radio. There's actually three radios in your cell phone. One to talk, one for Wi-Fi, one for Bluetooth. They're radios. They just run on different frequencies. You are actually in radio. You just don't know you're in radio. So when the cell tower goes down because power's been out for a while and the generators they have that back it up, 24 hours is gone, no power, how are you going to communicate? How do you call for help? Who remembers the volcano that uh, erupted off the coast of Australia? I think it was last year. Anybody remember seeing that? Go look that up. The blast was absolutely awesome in, in the, the definition of the word, purest definition of the word. The sonic boom actually traveled around the world three times. Absolutely incredible. But the people that were closest to it, obviously you have a volcano just completely let go. How do you get communications out? Amateur radio. Amateur radio was the first one in to get communications into and out of that affected area. Same thing in most times like Haiti, earthquakes. Amateur radio is usually the first one to have communications in, first one to have communications out, and sometimes for a long time. Radio is very important. It says communications over a great distance. I put that on there because, yeah, absolutely. I can talk around the world on my setup. But my communications only have to go as far as I want them to go. They can go next door or they can go to Spain, whatever I want them to do. I can tailor it that way so my message, my message gets as far as I want it to go. A lot of people think, well, I've got a cell phone. Why do I need that? Because your cell phone is one-to-one -one communication. You pick up your phone, you call somebody, right? What if they don't answer? What if they can't answer? Radio is one to many. I send out my call, and whoever hears it can respond back. So it's almost like a yelling help in the woods kind of thing. You don't care who hears you. You just want somebody to hear you. Radio is that way. Your cell phone, not necessarily that way. Concealed communications if cell service goes out. With the radio that I carry with me every day, I could walk around and you'd think I was listening to music by the way I can have it set up. Now, I might be listening to a police scanner or communications from the fire department or emergency services, and I know that in a scenario, a disaster scenario, I know where places are to avoid, and I'm getting real-time information in my ear, and you think I might be listening to music. Look at this oblivious guy, right? It absolutely can be helpful. There are web-based communications for cross-world um, conversations, right? So you absolutely can connect your radios to the internet now. You might think, listen, dude, that's cool, but I got a cell phone. I didn't tell you the best part. I didn't put it up there. It's all free. Yeah, of course, the, the actual equipment costs money to buy, but a radio that can communicate around the world costs less than the MSRP of the cell phone in your pocket. And I don't have to pay anybody to do it. Now, you might think, I could send a text message. People don't charge for text messages anymore. I can send an email. Emails are free. No, because you're paying your cell phone provider permission to access their network. Right? You're paying your internet service provider for your computer at home permission 
to access their server so you can go on and read your messages. So yeah, it might not cost you anything in the sense that your email provider charges you for every email or your cell phone provider charges you for every text message, but you're paying for that communication. You're paying for the right to communicate or the privilege to communicate in that case. My radio doesn't charge me anything. It's all out there. And it's happening right now. Uh, educational resource, ham radio crash course on YouTube. You want to start somewhere, start there, and the algorithms will generate a whole bunch of stuff for you. All right, so order of priority. And this is my opinion. Of the eight that I talked about, here's my order of priority. Medical, number one. Vehicle maintenance, number two. Organization, amateur radio, and lock picking. Or you can substitute security uh, bypass in, in place of lock pick, right? Why? Why would I have these? Well, it's specific to what I want. It's specific to what I believe is, are the most likely scenarios that I'm planning for. So what three didn't make my cut that I talked about? Anybody remember? Gardening, hunting. Gardening, hunting. Preservation. Food preservation. This is a test of who was writing notes, basically. What's that? Land navigation. So why, if I listed eight, and I didn't give them to you in this order, why would I not list those three on mine? Because you already have food and all the other stuff, and you're not planning on going anywhere. Could be. So it's really just to get on the other three. On the what? You just pick up the other three with those skills. OK, yeah. Could basically pick up the other three, right? You're forgetting about the network aspect of this, right? They might not be high on my list, but there might be somebody in my network who it's their number one, two, and three. Right? Having said that, I encourage you all to not rely on somebody else for your preparedness. It's your responsibility to prepare for yourself. Now, you can maybe rely on them for some aspects, but I would discourage complete reliance on them. That makes sense? Because we've all been let down. Somebody was supposed to show up on time, they didn't show up on time. Or they didn't show up at all, and they didn't, oh yeah, sorry, something came up, I wasn't able to, well, thanks for letting me know. Those are not the people you want in your preparedness network, by the way. So next steps. We've learned about some stuff, maybe some skills that we should go home and maybe learn or hone. What's next? Well, continuing education. You do not have to be an expert. I talked about this with the vehicle one. I don't expect you all to be experts in everything, but have a basic understanding of some things. Think jack of all trades, master of none. I know the, the saying is a whole lot longer than that, but that's the saying that everybody knows. Think jack of all trades, master of none. MacGyver, right? He wasn't a rocket scientist. He was entertaining to watch. And the Mythbusters proved absolutely not true, but it was fun, right? He knew a little bit about a lot of different things. Enough to be dangerous, I like to say. There are so many educational resources available now, uh, whether it be through books, reading materials, YouTube, seminars, things like that, classes. I encourage every single person to trust but verify, and that includes anything that comes out of my mouth. Trust but verify. You can trust me. That's fine. Verify yourself. Use the scientific method, right? 
hypothesis, and whatever the other thing is. Right. Try things yourself. Now, if I tell you, listen, don't buy the cheapest tourniquet, that one I would say you can verify by buying the cheapest tourniquet and then just put it around a log and give it a few twists and you'll find out why I don't recommend buying the cheapest tourniquet, right? Trust but verify. Nothing beats hands-on training. Sitting in this classroom tonight is a big thing, right? Just showing up is a big thing. But hands-on, nothing can beat that. I can tell you how to safely operate a firearm, but if you've never done it before, it's all going to go over your head. I can teach you and talk about how to operate an amateur radio. But without actually having done it, if I let you loose in the wild, you're probably not going to be able to do it. Hands-on training is extremely important. And understand that everything is perishable. When was the last time you rode a bicycle? Not to say you couldn't ride one now, right? But it might take you five minutes. You come back from a long vacation. You've been on a cruise or something. And you get in your car at the parking lot and you go to drive home. First five minutes, like, oh, this is weird. My seat's in the wrong position. Just, it just feels off, right? Everything is perishable to varying degrees. So practice what you can when you can. Take a paper map out. Plan a trip. Try that. That was pretty good. I've got about 10 minutes left for questions. I'm almost never on time a salesperson by nature, so I talk a lot. Uh, so I'm almost never within my time limit. I think I did pretty good. You're hot. It is warm. <laughs> it is very warm in here. I got to figure out that AC. I got a question. Yes. So medical is your top priority. What's your medical kit look like? Which one? Basic. A basic one. You can buy a, a standard first aid kit on Amazon. I think I bought a twenty dollar one on Amazon that just had band aids. I think it had burn gel in it, some neosporin, little rip open one use things. Had some gloves but I immediately added to it. I added certain things that I thought were basic necessities for my situation. I added a tourniquet that would work on a pet or a child, which by the way, not every tourniquet will work on a child. So if you have children, grandchildren that are very young with very small diameter limbs, or pets with very small diameter limbs, consider doing a little bit of research on that. Um, I also put in Israeli bandages. I put in some uh, clotting gauze, that kind of stuff. I add things to the kits that I get. I try not to just buy off the shelf and good enough. I go through it, I learn it, I add to it. But I carry first aid and I carry trauma. And they're two separate kits. First aid kit's usually pretty big. Trauma, usually much smaller, very much more streamlined. Because if you're treating something on the side of the road, let's say, the idea is you're just got to keep the blood in their body until paramedics arrive and they're going to do what they do, what they're trained to do, right? Um, first aid, again, over-the-counter medicines are something that I add to every single kit that I get because there's very few things in life that are as uncomfortable as diarrhea in the airport. <laughs> that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. What you got? Well, you partially answered it. I was going to, you said which one. I was going to ask you how many kits you have or where you have them. So, I would say, where are you most frequently? If you're in your kitchen a lot, there's probably some knives in the kitchen. You should probably keep a first aid kit in the kitchen, right? Something in there. I'm not saying you need to keep a tourniquet in the kitchen, but if you want to, do it. You probably also have a fire extinguisher either under your sink or in the pantry somewhere, right? 
probably keep a fire extinguisher in the garage. Well, you probably have power tools in the garage. Maybe put a medical kit wherever you put a fire extinguisher. Vehicle, first aid and trauma. Keep both in my car. I travel um, with my EDC bag that I carry. Has first aid and, and trauma in it to varying degrees. But every bag typically gets something. Even the bag that I send my child to school with has, at the bare minimum, first aid. What other questions do you have? Comments, yeah. I thought that was a good presentation to get at the ground level, like, sure, you're going to get into the communication stuff, ham radio, but in the meantime, do you think there's one good starter radio for somebody that's looking at getting some of the ham stuff? OK, great question. Um, what do you want out of radio? What do you think you want out of radio? Well, it's like you said, it's, it's one of the many type things so it's just an emergency situation. I've got the, the small handheld payo things. I think everybody typically probably has some of those. Mm -hmm. Got them configured for the local scanners and all of that. And I also have one that it can, it's got a battery life that in case power does go out. Just something to get updates, something to maybe communicate with local communities. So honestly, I, w I was going to recommend two things. If you said, look, I just want to hear what's out there. I want to be in the know of communications that are going on around me. There's something called an SDR. That's a software defined radio, SDR. It's like 35 bucks on Amazon. It's a little USB stick you plug into your computer. And it comes with its own antennas. And you can hear in the clear communications, i.e. no encryption um, or encoding. That is a great first way to think. This, this whole radio thing is, do I really want to? It's like 35 bucks. You spend it, you have it. Um, the next thing, if you want to actually push the button and talk and transmit, was going to be a Baofeng. Get a Baofeng radio. They're inexpensive, $25, $35, right? And it's enough that you can hit local repeaters. You can talk over further distances than you can with like a walkie-talkie pack from Walmart or something. Look at SDRs, the software-defined radios, and then Baofeng would be the next step. Now, from there, B-A-O-F-E-N-G. Yep. But if I, how would I take it? So I have people all over the country, family all over the mm -hmm. country. So I just want to buy everybody the same radio so we can talk with each other. So, right. So that's a great question. So communication, I talked about with radio, it's how far do you want to go? I can go as far as the next house. I can go as far as around the world. You pay to play. Honestly, it's do you, how far do you want to talk? How deep are your pockets? You could buy a $1,000 radio, talk around the world. You can buy a $25 radio and talk next door, right? Yeah, but you want to be able to speak to your family. I understand that. So they also have to be licensed in where they are. So that's the aspect that comes into this is licensure. And here's the thing. In an emergency situation where you're protecting life or property, you are allowed to use any communications that are available to you to seek help. It is not illegal to do that. But if I brought out my radio right now and handed it to anybody in this room and said, call for help on the local repeater, who the hell's going to know how to do that? Right? Or if somebody handed you some high-end technical medical instrument and said, I need you to measure some word that I can't even spell, never mind pronounce. You won't be able to do it because you don't have practice with it. So everybody says, well, in an emergency, I'm not going to need a license. That's true. 
But how do you practice so that in an emergency you're effective? You get licensed. It's just what you do. I didn't say I liked it, and now it costs money to do it, but it's 35 bucks. Depends. Do you want to go digital radio or do you want to stay analog radio? Do you want to talk around the world or do you want to talk next county? It all comes down to what you want to do with radio. Yeah. How far do you want to go? Because then you got to figure, it's kind of like Ford and Chevy, right? Hey, I'm a Ford guy. I'll never own a Chevy. That's cool. You might be an ICOM guy and hate Yesu or other way around. Or maybe you're like, you know what? Kenwood's where it's at. That's basically Cadillac at that point. It comes down to what you want to do with radio. You have to have an understanding of your end goal, kind of like what we talked about before, right? Brainstorm, understand, learn, procure, take training, then buy. Buy is the last step. So learn maybe what you want to do. There are local ham clubs that you can go and just be a part of what we call field day event. Just happened in June, winter field days at the end of the year. But you can go to a meeting and just say, hey, parks on the air. Who's going to do a parks on the air activation? Can I come along and ask questions and learn and just kind of watch you do that? People love doing that. What other questions or comments? Specific stuff, yeah? Yeah, I think uh, one of the most overlooked things is fire. So just for those who didn't hear him, and it is absolutely worth repeating, fire safety. Have a fire safety plan for your home at the very least with a meeting place, designated meeting place, so you're not trying to communicate during the event, and practice it at least once a year. Everybody remembers back in school, we had fire drills that were twice a year sometimes, three times a year, and they were annoying. But you got out of class, unless it was raining, and then it wasn't fun. But it was necessary. When was the last time anybody here did a fire drill? The meeting place is very important because if somebody doesn't show up to the meeting place, the assumption is they're in the burning house. Right. And if they haven't tried to make it and you don't have a meeting place, you might be running into a burning house trying to find them, and they're safe from the back somewhere. Exactly. So that's really So having a meeting place is incredibly important. That's why when you go to some places, you have to sign in. It's so they know who's in the building. Sign in, sign out. That way, if something happens, we know to come looking for you in the bathroom or something, right? Any other comments, questions? I'm going to stick around for a little while, obviously pack things up. Feel free to come up and ask questions. The next seminar is in two weeks, and we will be going over, uh, I believe it's kit building, different types of kits, how to build them, things that I've learned along my journey. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Good deal. Well, thank you for coming out.